0: Talk to my friend, Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew class. Allen has died hard conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.
1: This news coming out of Loudoun County about uh, this father who was arrested at a school board meeting. Uh, Steve Smith is his name, I believe. Um, Scott Smith, no, Scott Smith is his name. But all of this is really a microcosm. Believe it or not. Of what's happening to this country with Democrats in charge, it really says it all. We've got we've got uh, these these activists, community organizer types there. Uh, We've got a school board that is well, it ignores the will of the people and just pushes forward their agenda regardless of what the citizenry and the parents want. Uh, We've got them silencing. Uh, the voices of their opposition. I mean, it is a a totalitarian school board and system there in Loudoun County. And I want to unpack all of this because before we get into the Scott Smith story, which is really, really... I mean, it'll be hard for me when I get to that point to talk in a measured tone because it's so outrageous. It's so infuriating what has happened to this man and what the left has done to use his arrest as, you know, this national story and political justification by the left to silence voices of dissent, to silence uh, parents, to, to justify them taking parents' children away from them, essentially, and taking over the role of the parent, but uh, but you know, there was a story that preceded all this with Scott Smith. All of this—it's amazing to to sit here and talk about how much how much has come out of Loudoun County. I mean, they are a hotbed of corruption. Loudoun County is a warning sign, like California, right? California is well, well, it is the dystopian dystopian reality that the Democrats want for the rest of the country. And despite all the failures in California, they can only be attributed to who? Democrats, because they run the state. It's a one-party state. Well, they want to double down on these failed policies and export them to all 50 states. This is the thing. The Democrats, well, they defy reality. What they want, what they do and achieve We see evidence of it as a failure, but they refuse to acknowledge, of course, that they're responsible for it. They want more of it. They double down on it. But Tanner Cross, do you remember Tanner Cross? I don't know if you remember this story. It's now, of course, been eclipsed by um, what happened with Scott Smith uh, and the rape of his daughter in a girl's bathroom by a 15-year-old boy in a skirt. But Tanner Cross, he was a PE teacher, is a PE teacher still in an elementary school in where Loudoun County. Now this goes back to May 25th. May 25th. I'm going to put this timeline together for you because, well, just prepare yourself. Sit down in a comfortable chair. Um, you know, uh, put your put your glass of wine down so that you don't spill it all over yourself because you're going to want to scream. You want to be in a safe environment. The same goes for you leftists listening, because you'll be outraged by the truth because, as they say, you can't handle the truth. But at a board meeting on May 25th, okay, Tanner Cross, this PE teacher at the elementary school, well, he spoke out against a proposed rule that would require teachers to address transgender students according to their chosen genders. And he spoke out against this. And because Tanner Cross exercised his First Amendment right and because the totalitarian school board cannot tolerate voices of dissent, what did they do? They placed Tanner Cross on administrative leave. But then in August, a circuit court, I believe it was, they argued that he had a First Amendment right, that they had no authority to um, suspend him as they did, and he was reinstated. In August. All right, are you with me? So Tanner Cross's suspension happened after speaking out at a board meeting on May 25th against these new transgender rules. Now on May 28th, all right, at the high school, a 15-year-old boy wearing a skirt raped Scott Smith's daughter in the girls' bathroom. At Stonebridge High School, Scott Smith's daughter was a ninth grader. All right, are you still with me? Now, this is why I say just prepare yourself. Um, what was this boy masquerading in a skirt? What did he do? Here's what he was charged with. Two counts of forcible sodomy, one count of anal sodomy, and one count of forcible fellatio that day. Now, this happened to Scott Smith's daughter. Scott Smith was urged by his own attorneys and also the, well, everyone involved in this suit to keep his mouth shut if he wanted a fair trial, and he didn't speak out against this. All right, so May 25th, Tanner Cross speaks out against these widespread uh, new proposed rules that would require teachers to address transgender students according to their chosen gender. And then three days later, Scott Smith's daughter is raped by a boy in a girl's restroom. And then we fast forward to... When did this happen, this take place? I want to make sure my dates are correct here. And then we go forward to June 22nd, okay? That's June 22nd, another school board meeting. So a little less than a month later at a school board meeting, Scott Smith goes and uh, he, he is addressing what happened to his daughter. Well, in this same meeting, Superintendent Scott Ziegler stated that the predator. We've heard this, by the way, a thousand times. I mean, remember when they started pushing this garbage and those of us sane, rational Americans who actually have two brain cells to, run, to rub together, when they pushed for these transgender restroom uh, allowances in which they said that people's rights and civil rights were being violated because if you have a a you-know-what between your legs, if you identify as not having one, even though you have one, well, you could go into a girl's restroom. we said, um, no, no. um, This is problematic for a number of reasons, uh, the least of which is not (laughs) uh, that things could go horribly wrong in these situations. We don't want sexual predators to go in these restrooms because you've now permitted them to do so, these perverts, to to use this new, uh, new, new, well, non-existent right that we're granting them to go into a women's restroom because things could happen. But Scott Ziegler, he, he, he uses those talking points in the same meeting, and he says the predator cha- transgender student or person simply does not exist. And he also said that to his knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms. Now think about this. Scott Ziegler says this uh, a month after Scott Smith's daughter actually was raped by the predator transgender student that Scott Ziegler is saying doesn't exist, and he's listening to this in this meeting, and he got arrested more or less after a little a a a a. a an activist, wearing some little heart shirt, came up to him and said that he, that she didn't believe Scott Smith, that he was, he she accused Scott Smith of lying about what happened to his daughter, saying that that didn't happen, and that set him off. Imagine being a father of a, of a young girl, a young 15-year-old girl, a ninth grader, who was raped by a boy in the girl's restroom. She goes to school, and she's not safe. She's raped. And having to listen to the superintendent tell you that despite the fact that to your awareness you know you're part of a a a, a suit right now uh, uh, to bring criminal charges against this this 15 year old boy who committed the crime and you're being told this didn't happen talk about gaslighting I'd be infuriated as well but nonetheless he was arrested and guess what happened of course after he was arrested remember when we talked a few episodes back about uh, what, what the National school, school, the National School Boards Association, they use Scott Smith's arrest in a letter requesting the Department of Justice to provide federal law enforcement to respond to an increase in violence against school officials across the country. Scott Smith didn't harm anyone, but of course you have a little snippet on a phone or on a camera, video camera. And so they spin the story and act like these teachers, I mean, sorry, these parents are out of control. And then Merrick Garland then takes that letter from them, using that instance cited, to pledge to have the Department of Justice and the FBI investigate harassment of school board members and investigate these parents like Scott Scott Smith as domestic terrorists. But who are the actual terrorists? The terrorists, of course, are on the school board. The terrorists are the superintendent. The terrorists are entering the girls' restrooms wearing skirts and raping freshman girls. Those are the terrorists. And so they tried to cover this up, Loudoun County did. But it gets worse. So despite the fact that we have Tanner Cross speaking out against these transgender policies, despite the fact that we have evidence of these proposed transgender policies actually resulting in the rape of girls in the school, what do they do at the August 11th board meeting? They voted 5-2 to two to pass transgender policy. Do you want to know what the main points of this policy on the treatment they call it of transgender students is? Well, as uh, I alluded to, well, firstly, staff should allow transgender and gender expansive students to use their chosen name and gender pronouns that refer- reflect their consistently asserted gender identity. So, a student Billy can come in one day and say, "Hi, my name's Sally, and today I have a I, I don't have a penis." And the teacher is supposed to go along with this. You know, and what I relate this to, because it is a mental illness, I'm sorry. You know, I have love in my heart for everyone, but I've made this analogy before, and I'm going to stand by it again. Look, uh, if someone is an alcoholic, I love that person, whether they're a friend, a family, an acquaintance. But their choice to consume a handle of Jack Daniels every day at 8 a.m., that is not their, that is not their, uh, uh, let me put it this way. You can do that. Yeah, you have a right to go out if you're, 18, if you're 21 and old, older and buy a handle and drink it at 8 a.m., but I am not required to keep silent and endorse that behavior. That is wrong. And that's what's wrong about this. These young students, these children who are so impressionable, who think, you know, they wake up and they, they want to be, I don't know, they want to be a uh, a uh, a unicorn one day. You don't tell your daughter or son, yeah, that's great. If you want to be a unicorn, you can be a unicorn. The same's true if they have a penis. They can't just, they're not a woman. It's not biologically, it's, it's just, it's not science, right? And so what the school board is proposing is basically not only the indoctrination of your children, but the, the, the injection of mental illness into their their brains. And so these teachers who are tasked with teaching our students are supposed to, well, go along with this experimentation on our, our children. But let's go on with these these policies. Staff should allow transgender and gender expansive students to participate in inter-schol- interscholastic, co-curricular, and extracurricular activities in a manner consistent with the student's gender identity. There we go again. So, you know, you want to go play soccer and you're a boy, but you want to play with a girl on the girls team or whatever it is. Well, just say you're a girl. Well, you know, I'm Billy and I'm a little short and I'm a little weak and I'm not doing so hot with these uh, uh, big competitive um, high school athletes. So I'm going to call myself Sally, wear a skirt, uh, hang out in the girls restroom, and then I'm going to go dominate on the field with the girls. There we go. Yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense, right? Let's keep going. Students, here we go, should be allowed to use the restrooms and locker rooms that correspond to their consistently asserted gender identity. Staff should take steps to designate gender-inclusive or single-user restrooms commensurate with the size of the school. So anyway, here we go. This is what's so outrageous. You have an actual example, a real instance of a young girl freshman being raped by a boy who wears a skirt in the girls' restroom. And now the school, what do they do? They propose making that the law of the land. These people are absolutely insane. They double down on failure. They want to harm these children, and that's the point of this. They want to ruin your children. They want to ruin society. They want to corrupt society. They want to expand the amorality and proliferation of hatred and, and and just moral deprivation, that's what this is all about. Destroying the nuclear family, taking your kids away from, from, from their parents, and having, you know, a state-controlled uh, country in which the state and the government, the teachers, well, they are the parents, and the parents have no place in bringing up and instilling any kind of values in them. They're stolen from you, essentially, and indoctrinated. And then they, we go on, though, you know, beyond that, they want the uh, school mental health professionals to complete training on topics relating to LGBTQ students, including procedures for preventing and responding to bullying, harassment. Do they require these things for just your normal Joe? Joe in the park? Joe in the schoolyard? Getting rocks thrown at him? Just like typically happens as a matter of reality? Do they have training for that? Or just LGBTQ students? Because I'm very curious about this inclusivity. Because bullying is bullying. It doesn't matter if it's LGBTQ+, or anyone else. You know? You throw a rock at a straight dude, that's a problem. You throw a rock at a boy in a skirt, that's also a problem. This is so ridiculous. You're creating a subclass, which is normal people, and then you're putting these other people who are mentally ill and amoral on a pedestal. Um... And anyway, the superintendent is authorized to develop implementing regulations and school procedures to ensure consistency in practice. So that's how this goes. But my point is, you know, this goes back to May with uh, Tanner Cross, the PE teacher. He was suspended for just speaking out against this policy. People rallied behind him. There was support to oppose this reprehensible uh, transgender policy. And then we have a, uh, a, a, a parent whose daughter was raped by a boy in a skirt. And then he's arrested when he's gaslit, gaslighted, and told that it didn't even happen. They don't have any record of this happening a month after it happened. And then you have them coming back to a school board meeting in August and voting for this transgender policy. And that says it all, by the way, does it not? We don't have representation anywhere. Our country is being stolen from us. Our children are being stolen from us. And nobody cares. I mean, the school board uh, individuals, the superintendent, they don't care what the parents want. They're going to push forward their radical uh, uh, agenda, no matter what. And that's the point. No representation. Look at, look at Washington, D.C. with this radical Marxist, communist, democrat party. I mean, Americans oppose all of these things. We don't want inflation. We want cheaper gas prices. We don't want critical race theory in our schools. We want a roaring economy. And they stand in in the way of all of that. They want to defund the police, and then that's not popular. So then they try and say the Republicans are the party that defund the police, which tells you and me, of course, that they're acknowledging that the American people don't want it. If they're then blaming defund the police on Republicans, that's the only thing you can ascertain from that. That's the truth. And yet they continue to push forward with trying to defund the police. They are just hell-bent on destroying this country, regardless of what the American people want. And so totalitarianism really is here. We don't have any kind of democracy. Oh, sure, you vote for these people. But, you know, if somebody tells you, hey, I'm going to go and support school choice, to help the minority communities have opportunity. And then you go to Washington, D.C., and you say, nope, I oppose school choice. That's not representation. And that's my point. That's why we're teetering on the brink of, well, revolution here is where we're moving. Uh, but anyway, there you go. Loudoun County is exemplifies, uh, you know, it, it's it's like the Wuhan lab. But instead of um, you know, creating and manufacturing and experimenting with viruses, they're experimenting on our children. And so we see how devastating, just like COVID was, we see how devastating the effects of this social experimentation of re-engineering are on our children in Loudoun County, how destructive it is, how it's resulting in rape. And what do the Democrats do when they see this? real example of their dystopian dreams coming true? Well, they double down and they want to do more of it. And by the way, just as an addition here, uh, Scott Smith, that individual, that parent, whose daughter was raped, well, this same 15-year-old boy who raped his daughter, guess what? Raped another parent's daughter. So this individual has raped two girls now. Unbelievable. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. You know, I was just thinking about something during that short break. And, and, you know, to get back to John Gruden and his resignation for for calling DeMarie Smith's lips, you know, describing them as, as big as Michelin tires. And him and his emails allegedly which we still have not seen the actual emails they're just the allegations. no doubt he used the language uh, if he hadn't used the words that they're alleging, you know he, he certainly wouldn't have resigned but nonetheless, you know he just he's forced to resign for 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 using the F word uh, if I was to pronounce it in French it would be fagot uh, I can say that. Um, and whatever, whether it's the the homophobic remarks they're calling it, or you know misogynistic, and so on and so forth, I mean that pales in comparison to anything and everything that Hunter Biden said in his emails that we know are real from his laptop. I mean the photos themselves are far beyond anything that uh, that John Gruden was involved in smoking out of a crack pipe with. Prostitutes and hookers and and young girls and and, and email exchanges or, or text messages with his lawyer using the n word countless times, and yet Hunter Biden is is somehow gets a pass. I mean, he lied on his his form uh, 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 in regards to to illegally owning a firearm, which is which is an which is a criminal offense. And this guy is selling, you know, he sold half a million dollars almost, I think it was. It doesn't matter what the amount was. I don't need to look it up right now. But, you know, he's got this flourishing career as an artist, enriching himself. He still has not, by the way, um, resigned from from these countless boards and, and positions that are, are paying him in China or, or wherever they are. Uh, that his father assured us on the campaign trail that he would, you know... Uh, uh, stop being a part of because of a conflict of interest I mean this stuff just gets brushed under the rug and it's just the absolute it's it's just a statement here I'm just you know yeah I'm a little apoplectic but it's just to point out the absurdity of the world we live in today I mean John Gruden loses his career uh, for, 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 for doing whatever whatever you fall on it for whatever he, he said allegedly but Hunter Biden did far worse He's the son of the President of the United States. And he just gets a, a, a pass. And, you know, so do all these other people that I talked about uh, yesterday on the podcast. But but it's just beyond the pale, you know. This is how how depraved our society is, how unmoored we are from reality and standards. It's just a really, really just—it's a disgrace. really is, truly. Um, But I want to get into uh, some hero talk here because— you know, the, 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 these, these outrageous vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, this push for uh, the denial of American citizens to make their own medical decisions about whether to get the vaccine or not. I mean, they're really separating uh, the wheat from the chaff. We're having brave, patriotic individuals step forward, and be showcased, inspirational figures, and then we're having the cowards, whether they're Americans who are bending the knee for convenience, or because they're businesses that are going along with these mandates, uh, just to, 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 I guess, be a part of the system, to be cool, you know, to be trendy with what the the media is celebrating. And, you know, no one has shown more courage in the realm of athletics than Kyrie Irving. And why do I mention Kyrie Irving? Because he's on an island there in Brooklyn, in New York. He plays for the—he's the star point guard uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. And this guy, I cannot imagine uh, the immense pressure that he is under from his teammates— I mean, certainly from the media, uh, from sports journalists, from the organization itself, and of course these rabid, unconstitutional, un-American fools that are amongst the citizenry out there, that are condemning him for simply standing up for freedom. And you know what's interesting? We have a contrast here. All the talk, all those these many years, still, I mean, it's talked about, of uh, Colin Kaepernick and what a sacrifice he made he didn't make any sacrifice he was a second rate quarterback as I've talked about he didn't sacrifice um, in fact he, he made more money than he ever would have in his flailing fledgling career as an NFL quarterback you know he made more money from Nike and these endorsement deals and and being held up as a hero. He didn't face any repercussions for bending the knee and becoming this social justice warrior, this activist quarterback. He didn't suffer for that. He benefited from it. But Kyrie Irving is suffering. He is sacrificing. He cannot play because he still refuses to get vaccinated. And... You know, it's it's funny here. I uh this is all related and intertwined. I want to um I want to talk about a story here. Stay with me. It's um it's it's so so uh Ruth Bader-Ginsburg, she did this um she did this interview uh before she passed away uh with Katie Couric. And they edited the interview. They edited the interview. What am I talking about, Katie Couric? This is this is. I'm using this Fox News uh, article to 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 give you the facts here. But so Bader Ginsburg, she did this interview uh, with Katie Couric back in 2016, and amongst the topics they discussed was kneeling during the national anthem. Speaking of Colin Kaepernick. Well, they talked about this, but it was edited out. Why was it edited out? Because Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as activist as she was, as much as I uh, do not respect many of her activist positions as a Supreme Court Justice, believe it or not, she even had something that I can agree with to say about the kneeling. So this was in the midst of the furor, not the furor, you know, as the Democrats would say, the furor Trump, no, no, not Nazi Trump, but the Fuhrer, F-U-R-O-R, Fuhrer, of former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick's decision to take a knee during the playing of the National Anthem to protest police brutality. And you know, that set off this... Maelstrom, this firestorm in which everyone was going along with it, trying to be cool and bend the knee, take the knee uh, uh, to protest. And what did Ginsburg tell Kirk in this interview that was edited out? Well, she said that these individuals like Kaepernick were showing, I quote, contempt for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life. How about that? How about Ruth Bader Ginsburg condemning Kaepernick? Oh, man. Well, I suppose for the left, it's a good thing. It's funny. I wonder if this had come out um, earlier on, what the reaction from the left would have been. Because, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I mean, she was the hero. Here in the town where I live, 6,000 people in Napa County, uh, the, the art galleries in town, when she passed away, they, they were painting, uh, erecting monuments in her honor. And so Couric, she has since said that she was conflicted about including the justices' comment because she was a big RPG fan. And so she she apparently sought advice from fellow journalists about what to do. Well, gee, I wonder what they said. This doesn't go along with our narrative. It doesn't matter what a hero she is to us. She's saying something that we can't have out there because it goes against the narrative and the division that we're trying to create in NFL stadiums and amongst the American people. So, you know, Ginsburg, she said that neither were dumb and disrespectful. Now, this did make it into a Yahoo News uh, article, I guess, that Kirk did. Uh, but she left out the remarks, uh, condemning uh, the actions, saying what's truthful. You know, how can these people take the knee and show this contempt for a government and a country that's made it possible for them to be on this football field to begin with, for their parents and grandparents to have a life here in America? Basically pointing out the obvious. These people are ignorant. They have no idea. A bunch of millionaires on a field who are amongst the one top 1% Of Americans, and obviously the top 1% of of human beings in world history, and they're they're, they're disrespecting it? So, you know, so Couric unilaterally decided, of course, that, you know, well, those were Ginsburg's opinions, but, you know, they were unworthy, Couric decided, of a crusader for equality. So there you go. Editing the message even from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is how fake, and this is why Trump was brilliant. I love that he called them out for fake news. It's all fake news. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If you really respected her, you would allow her to speak freely. You would have allowed her to, to speak freely. God rest her soul. But, um, you know, so uh, let me just go on with this here. So the day after their sit-down, the head of public affairs for the Supreme Court emailed Kirk to say the late justice had misspoken and asked that it be removed from the story. So, I, I, I don't know. Um, this throws a little wrench in it, you know, to say that, well, afterwards, you know, she didn't want it out there or the Supreme Court didn't want it out there, which just shows activism all the way around. I sit here behind the microphone, and I stand behind everything I say. Take it, spread it, publish it. I mean everything I say, and I'll defend everything I say because I think it through. It's my opinion. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know that that that, that took place um, as they, you know, falsely uh, 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 edit out remarks, even from a, a heralded uh, Supreme Court justice. So anyway, uh, but anyway, to, to get back into Kyrie Irving, now, you know, you have Colin Kaepernick doesn't sacrifice anything, but you have Kyrie Irving, who's actually uh, the stuff of legends. He is an American, through and through, red-blooded patriot. And, uh, and this is the thing. We can agree on things in this country, and this is something we should all be able to agree on. And this defies any kind of, uh, you know, self-imposed, obviously, by the c- p- political, uh, cultural climate here in America of Of, you know, if you're black, you lean this way. If you're Democrat, you lean this way. I don't know Kyrie Irving's politics. Um, You know, I think it would be safe to assume that he's probably not a Trump-supporting Republican. I think that's probably fair to say uh, and allege. But on this issue, it defies partisanship. And that's the point. And that's, that's, that's what's scary, I think, to the Democrats. Because this is a movement that isn't bipartisan. Uh, you know, they're alienating their own uh, voter base in many ways because there are Democrats too, believe it or not, uh, that oppose this type of treatment. But, you know, I want to play a clip of uh, for you of the, uh, you know, predominant attitude of these totalitarians in the media and amongst the citizens ourselves of how they view people that... Just fight for their right to choose, to get vaccinated or not. For the government and these corporations to stay out of their business. Uh, you, you'll hear Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith, he's been at ESPN a long time. And I got to tell you, there was a time where I really enjoyed Stephen A. Smith. Many years ago, before I got into to politics, before I started writing, before I started this podcast, before I had a platform... And I was just Joe Schmo on the street going about my business working. Uh, You know, I'd listen to the radio when I lived in L.A. uh, or wherever I was. And, you know, I I listened to the Mark Levin show. I I respect Mark Levin. And, um, you know, I only bring this up because, you know, Mark Levin in, in many ways brought Stephen A. Smith to my attention even. Because he'd have Stephen A. on to discuss, you know, certain crossover issues with sports and politics, and sometimes just to talk about about politics. But you know, Mark Levin and, and Stephen A. had a great rapport on the radio, and and Stephen A. seemed like a relatively level-headed guy. I mean, he was a Democrat, but uh, but you know, he was he was he was respectful uh, of Mark. And vice versa. And I, I remember listening to them. And Mark, you know, as they started their kind of on-air relationship, you know, Mark would say, "Hey, you know, we haven't met yet. When, we get, when I'm out there, you're out here. Whatever it is, we got to get together. We got to have a meal. We got to sit down." And and you know, it was it was awesome. It kind of showed this this ability for uh, you know the American people and Democrats and Republicans uh, to sit down and have a civil uh, conversation, to respectfully disagree. But of course, that has been eliminated and annihilated since Trump became president. And that is not Trump's fault. That is not Trump's fault. That's the media and the Democrat Party's fault. They're the ones who painted Trump like Hitler and created this hatred in which, you know, friends, families almost sadly like the Civil War era where you can't sit down at a dinner table anymore. You know, if you don't, you know, subscribe to the exact same political philosophy, if you're not a Democrat, you can't sit with Democrats uh, and that's more the way it goes. But, you know, it happens on the other side, too. But that's neither here nor there. I want to play for you Stephen A. Smith. Uh, this is him um, talking about Kyrie Irving. It shows you how ignorant he is. Hold on. Here we go. Let me start over. Let's get the sound going. Nothing. One second. Now, Deedly-dee. All right. Are we ready? Here we I'm go, Stephen A. I've
0: in the NBA now for almost 25 years. I mean... This is some of the stupidest nonsense I've ever seen. Just flat out stupid. So let me get this straight. So let if me, the reports are tr-
1: Let me pause there real quick. Uh, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my career covering sports. Now, of course, he's not talking about the stupidity of the vaccine mandates, right? Uh, that would actually make sense, and I would agree with him. Uh, but, you know let's let's let Stephen A continue and show us how stupid he's become, how low he's sunk, and how, um, well, he's lost my respect 100%. Because
0: we don't know whether they are or not, okay? But let's give credit to Sham and others who have reported this. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Let's go with that, okay? If it is true, Jay, if it is true, if Marcus... So you don't have a problem with taking the vaccine. Your position is that you're going to sit up there and compromise the championship aspirations of an organization you signed on to represent. You coaxed Kevin Durant in the signing on to represent. You coaxed, you played the role in coaxing James Harden into signing on to represent. You're going to compromise all of that because you want to give a voice to the voiceless.
1: I want to stop there again. Here he is. I mean, this is so amazing how this guy can't get it right. His brain is so gosh, corrupted that here he is. He's saying that Kyrie Irving is, is responsible for for tanking the Brooklyn Nets chances of winning a, ch- a, a championship. It's not Kyrie Irving's fault. It's the stupid organization. The Brooklyn Nets. It's the stupid city, and city of New York City. It's the stupid state of New York. They're the ones responsible. Why does he not understand that it's the mandates that are stupid? Why does he not understand and put the blame on these mandates that are causing Kyrie Irving... Kyrie Irving's not choosing to sit out. Kyrie Irving's not choosing not to play. Kyrie Irving isn't choosing not to play play on the team, and lead them to a championship? He wants to play. It's the organization that is telling him he cannot play if he doesn't get the vaccine. There's two ways to look at it. And this guy, Stephen A., Stevie, not so wondrous, he doesn't get it. But let's just let him finish speaking.
0: Really? And how is that going to work out for you, Kyrie Irving? You're going to disappear from the game of basketball. Listen to the, Who the contempt. I'm interested in what you have to say when you have proven that you can't even be trusted enough to do your damn job. A job you volunteered for. This ain't the military where you were drafted. You chose to play basketball.
1: What is he talking about? This isn't the military where you were drafted. You chose to play basketball. You sh- chose to sign a contract. That contract did not include Stephen A some clause in which, you know, whenever he signed it three years ago, whenever he came out of the Brooklyn Nets, that he said, yes, uh, I will get any vaccines uh, in the future, uh, uh, you know, given some future pandemic or whatever. I'll take an experimental vaccine. Yeah, I'm going to do that. That's not it. And he's he look at, look at how he makes fun of, of Kyrie Irving, how he talks down to Kyrie Irving. You want to give a voice to the voiceless? Well, if this was Black Lives Matter, he'd be all in for it. Stephen A. would be, because that fits his political inclinations. You know, if, if if Kyrie Irving was protesting and saying, "Hey, I'm not going to play basketball until uh, you know Derek Chauvin is uh, gets a uh, guilty verdict," well, he would celebrate that. Say, "Right on, Kyrie Irving! Right on! Look at this social justice warrior. He is, he is, he is doing the right thing. Who cares about the contract?" This is bigger than basketball, but this, of course, is not bigger than basketball for Stephen A. Smith. All right, let's finish up with this.
0: Chose to enter the NBA. You chose to sign that contract as a free agent to go to the Brooklyn Nets. You chose Brooklyn as your destination. You chose the Nets franchise to represent.
1: You, you, you. I mean, listen to this guy, man. He's he's really uh, raking, uh, hurting. Like like you know, I feel like my my face is being. Uh, rubbed in coals right now. The the pain I'm feeling in my ears from you, you, you. Uh, he sounds like a a a, a, a siren from a, an ambulance or a police car. Um, but I mean, look at think about how stupid his argument is here. You chose to play in Brooklyn. You chose the Nets. You chose to play in the city of New York. He didn't choose it after they implemented and forced these vaccine mandates. This was pre pandemic. He didn't sign on. To lose his freedom of choice? This is happening after the contract was signed. After he's in New York, this is a separate issue. This is coming afterwards. And I, you know, I know you get it. It's just got me fired up. I mean, how can he? How can he be so ignorant that he sits here on his national television show on ESPN and makes these outrageous claims? How does he not know? How does he not have any self-awareness about how stupid he sounds and is? But let's finish this up. We're almost there.
0: Ask KD and James Harden to come on board with you in Brooklyn to establish your own legacy, and then you leave them hanging.
1: Leave them hanging. I mean, he's not leaving anybody hanging. It's the organization that's leaving everyone hanging. And and frankly, Kai Irving, I mean, that guy's got cojones. And he's got my respect. And I hope that that, that that Kyrie Irving learns from this that the Democrat Party and these totalitarians are not his friend. If he does not do exactly as they say, if he thinks for himself, expresses a different opinion than the party approves of, they have no use for him. Look at how they turn on him immediately. One day he's a hero, the next he's a zero, just like the LA City Firefighters just like the Southwest Pilots, just like uh, nurses and doctors and everyone else who are making a stand for freedom. And suddenly, one day they're heroes, one day they're celebrated, one day their skills are, uh, are are lauded and universally praised, and the next, well, it means nothing. And that's the Democrat Party. That's a lesson that must be learned. But Kyrie Irving is sacrificing more than any of these faux activist players, Colin Kaepernick types, have ever sacrificed in their entire lives. And I have nothing but respect for Kyrie Irving. I wish him the best. And I hope he takes, you know, Ted Cruz is out there. And he's so funny. I love this. He tweeted, I think it was a tweet today or yesterday. You know, he said, he said, let's bring him to, to the Houston Rockets. You know, where they're not going to force him uh, to get a vaccine to play. I hope that happens. And this is what's even happening now. You know, these people have to suffer the consequences. And we've got to keep on message that this is not Kyrie Irving's fault. He doesn't bear the blame for what's happening. That organization could change their policy in a second. The city of New York could change their policy, and this wouldn't be an issue. They're creating this problem. Stephen A. Smith doesn't understand it because Stephen A. Smith is an indoctrinated leftist. He'll never understand it. But Kyrie Irving gets it, and Kyrie Irving is using his platform— Well, not only just to stand up for himself, but to stand up for the rest of America. And he has a platform, and I know, I know in my heart and soul, Kyrie Irving gets it. He understands, otherwise he wouldn't be putting up this fight. He understands this is about more than him. And my goodness, what a hero. What an American. And in this time in history, looking back, people like Kyrie Irving, they're the people that are going to be celebrated. They're the people our children are going to look to and say, hey, these people made a stand. Just like Martin Luther King did. Just like people, the greats, Rosa Parks did. You know, they were their views at the time were not popular. They were attacked. Kyrie Irving's being attacked, but he's on the right side of history. And we've got to be on the right side of history, too. I stand with Kyrie Irving. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. What we're experiencing day to day, we have a front row seat to it, it's affecting our lives, is, uh, well, life under an administration, a regime, if you will, uh, that represents absolute irresponsibility, a bunch of puerile children that are running this country. And yes, I know it's worse than that, but I'm making a point. I understand these people are doing it intentionally. I understand they're malicious, they're vile, they're reprehensible, and they're, they they want to inflict harm on America because, as Jin Saki just admitted the other day, you know they viewed this pandemic as an opportunity to fundamentally transform our economy and our country. But but you know I I got an article here from Reuters, and this really struck me today, and I wanted to make sure I had a chance to talk about it because it's really damning about this administration. And it's also enlightening about, you know, what this regime does. Again, the Saul Alinsky communist playbook, the tactics of the left. So, you know, the White House, you know, when Biden first came into to office, one of the first things he did in terms of executive orders was to take away leases uh, from oil and natural gas companies, right, to to to. Uh, come between them to stop them um, from growing our energy independence, right? In the name of fighting climate change. So, you know, he he canceled and interfered with the the construction of the Keystone Pipeline, which would have continued to give us greater energy independence from OPEC and Saudi Arabia and oil, foreign oil sources. And, of course, what's happened as a result of that? Gas prices have shot up. I think the average price across the nation is it's over $3.50. Incredible. It hasn't been there in a long time. And the Americans are realizing day-to-day they ha- have less spending power because they depend upon—I mean, it, it's not negotiable. If you drive a car, which everyone does— uh, you 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 need to fill up with gas, and so if gas prices go up for the 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 average American citizen, well, you're spending more to fill up your car, and so your salary's the same, your hourly wage is the same, and so you 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 can barely afford to live. This in conjunction with inflation, up I think nearly a little over five percent, five point three percent maybe I read, but somewhere thereabouts. I mean, it's a it's a staggering increase, and it, it, it's. It's limiting the spinning power of every American. Um, It's theft. But here's the headline of the article. The White House asks U.S. oil and gas companies to help lower fuel costs. I mean, they are responsible for the fuel costs going up. They're the ones who are telling oil and gas companies that they cannot, for example, build the Keystone Pipeline. They cannot extract more oil and natural gas from vast swaths of, uh, of sources. And now they have the audacity to try and pin this on the oil and gas companies. And this is the point. They're going to demonize oil and gas companies and deflect again blame from themselves, which are actually responsible, the Biden regime, for the increase in gas prices. And they're going to put the blame on the oil and gas companies for being greedy. So here, I want to read a little bit of this article because it's it's hilarious how Reuters uh, describes this. The White House, Reuters says, has been speaking with U.S. oil and gas producers in recent days about helping to bring down rising fuel costs. Energy costs are rising worldwide. In some cases, leading to shortages in major economies like China and India. In the United States, the average Retail cost of a gallon of gas is at a seven-year high. And winter fuel costs are expected to surge. The talks with energy companies touched on several issues, including prices. According to a third person familiar with the discussions, the administration has been in discussions with the oil industry over limiting methane emissions in recent months. We are closely monitoring the cost of oil and the cost of gas Americans are paying at the pump, and we are using every tool at our disposal to address anti-competitive practices in U.S. and global energy markets, markets to ensure reliable and stable energy markets. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So here we go. The average retail price, this is what I was i was remembering. I was a little off. The average retail price of a gallon of gasoline has risen to $3.29. Uh, heating costs are expected to rise dramatically this winter for all fuels, but particularly for heating oil and propane. Oil production has been slow to rebound from 2020 when output dropped during the coronavirus outbreak. Here they go again. Always trying to pin everything on coronavirus. You know What? Coronavirus actually didn't impact anything. It was the policy decisions of the government, both state, local, and federal, that are responsible for everything we're experiencing today. Coronavirus didn't stop things. Our policy stopped things. Stop saying this lie, coronavirus. But anyway, production had hit a record of nearly 13 million barrels per day in late 2019. But the U.S. Energy Department said Wednesday that output will only average 11 million barrels per day in 2021. Well, there's an easy fix for this. Green light, the Keystone Pipeline. Green light, the the, the shale production in this country. Green light, you know, these companies to, to dig wells. It's not that complicated. It's actually very simple. It's supply and demand here. But this is a mate, look what they say. U.S. shale producers who are responsible for the boom in crude oil output in the last 10 years have been less willing to drill for more oil after years of weak financial performance and have instead focused on cutting spending to boost returns for... That's not what's happened. That's not what's happened at all. As a matter of fact, this administration via executive orders have basically told these shale producers and other energy producers that they cannot dig. They've rescinded these leases. They've not given new leases on land that produces energy. It can take six months, the article says, to drill and complete a new well and bring the oil and gas to market. Any call by the White House for an increase in U.S. production is likely to fall on deaf ears, according to one oil executive. The industry has also been unhappy with some of President Joe Biden's earlier actions, including a temporary drilling halt on federal lands that they see as an attack on the industry. Well, there you go. Buried halfway down the story is the truth. And so here's a quotation from someone named Ann Bradbury. She's the chief executive officer, the CEO of the American Exploration and Production Council. They're the ones who lobby for independent oil and gas producers. She says, by pursuing policies that restrict supply, and make it harder to produce oil and natural gas here in America, Americans will have to pay more for their energy. Bingo. That's the point. And so, you know, Biden administration is having internal discussions. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, it, you know, these articles astound me because they, 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 they never address the obvious. But here we go. The White House asking U.S. oil and gas companies to help lower fuel costs. It's like them now asking to raise the debt ceiling because they're spinning us into oblivion. You know, they're responsible for the debt crisis and they come and say they need to tax us more to pay for it. This is a, a, a administration that is abjectly irresponsible. Um, but, you know, it goes on and on. You know, we've got you know, we, we we've got this aggressive posture by Janet Yellen, uh, who's the the Secretary Treasury, Treasury of the Secretary, this Treasury of the Secretary. No, no, she's the Secretary of the Treasury. Um, you know, she was on CBS Evening News, by the way, and she is saying that you know the, the government now is trying to impose. Right now, look, you have to report transactions over ten thousand dollars. So ten thousand dollars and one cent. Uh, you have to report to the IRS. and, and, and do, do you know why they do this by the way? This is per the IRS. Let me see if I can pull up this um, uh, this 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 article. So uh, shoot, where is it? Nonetheless, l- let me put it this way. You know, you know, the IRS is a uh, point on this in, in in demanding that we fill out forms to report any transactions cash transactions over $10,000. Well, they say it's, you know, uh to prevent, you know, uh, uh, drug lords and and to prevent uh you know, these types of, of nefarious activities, which is outrageous anyway. You know, there's always people, if you're a criminal, you're going to find a way around the the limit to begin with. So, you know, so so they'll split it up in $9,999, $10,000, whatever they have to do to be under the limit. They'll just break it up. And so it doesn't do anything. But now they want to to basically spy on us and know about every transaction that we spend that is six hundred dollars or more. I mean, if you go and buy a TV, it's more than six hundred dollars. You know, I mean, a, 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 a mid-range TV now, but you know, more or less top of the line still, costs you a thousand dollars or more. So if you buy a TV, you know, if you if you want to want to you know send somebody a thousand bucks or whatever it is you know well 600 bucks is what they're saying you have to report it to the IRS I mean this is outrageous but of course Secretary Yellen she's saying there's a lot of tax fraud and cheating that's going on and what else does she say you know this requirement the proposed $600 IRS reporting requirement for banks is she says it's absolutely not a way for government to peek into Americans pocketbooks but you know what she says it's meant to do to hold billionaires accountable how many billionaires out there are uh are are are, you know become how many people become billionaires because they're 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 creating fraud based on six hundred dollar transactions that's not how it works this is about uh, tyranny this is about them keeping an eye on everything we do uh and it's outrageous they have no place to do this and they're pushing this but i want to get back to a couple other things because we started this program discussing of course uh, what's happening in Loudoun County, how it's ground zero for failure. You know, that that, that, that Loudoun County, like a Wuhan lab, is uh, experimenting on our children. And uh, it's a failure. It's an abject failure. Uh, girls, freshman girls are being raped in the bathrooms, and now they want to make it um, basically lawful for boys to enter girls' bathrooms, even though they know that it's already resulting in rape and so they double down on these policies but you know there's a really interesting story I came across uh, it's not a surprise to me living out in California because we've seen this exodus take place but nonetheless this is actually from July It just I just remembered it and I wanted to talk about it 40% of San Francisco residents plan to leave due to quality of life a poll says and so San Francisco's a disaster uh, what have they implemented there you know, if you, if you steal something under $1,000, I believe it is right now, right, um, you, 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 you won't be prosecuted. And so you actually have uh, a story here of Walgreens. Walgreens is closing down five new stores, or it's not five new stores, but Walgreens is shutting down five stores now, five more stores, uh, because of these organized uh, retail crime rings. This is from the San Francisco Gate, by the way. Walgreens will close five more San Francisco stores, a company spokesperson uh, confirmed. Um, Organized retail crime continues to be a challenge facing retailers across San Francisco, said Walgreens spokesperson Phil Caruso. Retail theft across our San Francisco stores has continued to increase in the past five months to five times our chain average. During this time, to help combat this issue, we increased our investments in security measures in stores across the city to 46 times our chain average. Uh, but, um, this is not a surprise. Because as soon as San Francisco, you know what this goes back to, by the way? This is what happened in San Francisco. So, in October 2020, um, where is this? So California law, they changed the law, right? It dictates that theft of less than $950 in goods is penalized as a nonviolent misdemeanor, which means there's basically no reason not to do it, right? The reward of stealing outweighs the risk that comes with actually uh, committing that crime. And so what you have is rampant shoplifting. It's been brazen. It's been carried out in broad daylight. And so San Francisco has, has inflicted this on themselves with these California laws, Basically saying, we're not going to prosecute you or punish you if you steal less than nine hundred fifty dollars or nine hundred fifty less. And um, and so, uh, of course, you have forty percent of San Francisco uh, citizens there that are that that are ready to leave and flee the the state. But you know, many of these people won't connect the dots as they as they never do about you know why they're leaving. You know, they'll still vote for Democrats again, time and time again. But this is what I wanted to read to you, by the way, about the IRS. You know, the, 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 the lingo of the current laws, right? If you're in trade or business and, and you receive more than $10,000 in cash, that could be a transfer from my bank account to yours, for example, right? So if you get $10,000 and one cent, you have to fill out a form, 8300. This 8300 form... It's called a report of cash payments over $10,000 in a trader business. Now, what the IRS says, it provides valuable information to the Internal Revenue Service and the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and their efforts to combat money laundering. Now, money laundering, of course, is what they deem you know used to conceal illegal activity. Crimes that generate the money itself, like drug trafficking and tax evasion. And it's just the same thing that goes along with We're taking guns from law-abiding American citizens. You know, those that are going to violate the law are going to violate the law regardless of what the law is. And so even having this stupid, stupid existing uh, law in place in which we have to report our $10,000 over, well, you know, criminals aren't going to abide by that. It never made sense. It doesn't make sense. It's ludicrous. It's not helping anything. It doesn't do anything at all to address the issue that they're they're you know supposedly uh addressing. And so anyway, you know, when you file this 8300 form, you know, that's an individual, a company, corporation, partnership, association, a trust, an estate, so on and so forth. Um, but anyway, now they want to bring that number down to six hundred dollars. Six hundred dollars. So ten thousand doesn't do anything to begin with. And now they want to lower it to six hundred. Doubling down on stupidity and insanity. Uh, this is Jar Allen. When I be right back, I'm gonna, uh, got a couple other stories here. We'll close out. We're going to rock down to Electric Avenue. Are you ready for this story? That song leads us to another Reuters article, Rocking Down to Electric Avenue. Good luck charging your car. On the break there, I decided to, to go with this story because I was thinking about what I was talking about with you, discussing here in this forum of freedom and and genius, frankly, um, about how the Biden regime is intentionally assaulting the oil and gas industry, driving prices up. What they're trying to do, it's its by design. They know how to solve this problem. Believe me, they know this isn't accidental. It's intentional. Uh, they're creating a situation in which we're going to be begging for relief. And the solution they'll present won't be, of course, to, you know, open up that keystone pipeline or to become energy independent in terms of oil and gas because, of course, they are proponents of man-made climate change and the end of Earth as we know it because of fossil fuels. So what they are priming us for is begging for mercy, begging for relief, and then the solution they'll present is we've got to go to electric. Only through going to electric can we... Uh, lower prices. And so, what What happens, by the way? Let's say the Democrats achieve that ambition and we go to all-electric energy. Well, in London, in London, England, we have evidence of what is in store for us. European and U.S. cities, per Reuters, are planning to phase out combustion engines over the next 15 years. But what's the problem? Well, first they need to plug a charging gap For millions of residents who park their cars on the street. So these electric vehicle sales are soaring in Europe and also in the United States, by the way. But there's not charging station infrastructure. And so these cities don't have money. Um, They have other priorities. Uh, Infrastructure, you could speak. Other things that pre-exist exist. And, and so and so they don't have the money to even install these electric uh, charging stations that they would need. There's another problem, of course, in America, like in California where I live. Well, we have rolling brownouts and blackouts as it is because we don't have enough energy to begin with. And, of course, electricity isn't powered by air. Uh, it's powered by ding, ding, ding. Well, fossil fuels, gas, natural gas in many cases as well. So you still need these, these sources. You're just using them to power an electric vehicle instead of going through the form of gasoline. So it's all stupid, of course. But anyway, continuing with this. So um, there are chargers that, that these private companies have been developing, um, but it's very difficult to tackle. You know, uh, Hugh McKenzie, who's a CEO of this Trojan Energy Uh, Trojan has developed a charger which is being tested on residential streets in two London boroughs. Um, But he's citing that, you know, it's difficult still to tackle on-street residential charging. So Tim Wynn, they quote, an Uber driver who charges his Nissan Leaf every day is using the system in Brent, North London. After I've been driving all day, I just want to come home and plug in, said Wynn 39, who previously used a nearby EV fast electric vehicle, fast charger, to charge up in 20 minutes, but sometimes had to wait in line for nearly an hour. Well, you know, an Uber driver, you're making your money based on, you know, going from uh, uh, traveler to traveler to travel traveler. And so you can't afford to sit there and wait around. The call comes in, you got to pick somebody up, that's how you make your living. And so... Uh, a cabbie using one of London's new electric black taxis told Reuters he often has to drive between charging points, losing valuable custom customers, as he does, I would imagine, only to find they're either already in use or malfunctioning. So, so these guys are driving around. I mean, imagine, you know, when you have these gas shortage lines, right? And you're rationing gasoline, you've got these long lines like you saw back in the 70s under the Carter administration. People can't get gasoline. You've got them driving from station to station, and then you find that it's malfunctioning. It's out of energy, just like it would be out of gas at a gas station. And so, you know, these solutions, by the way, that this Trojan company that makes these private, you know, EV chargers, well, they're expensive, they require grid connections. And uh, so they're subsidized 75% by Britain's government because there aren't enough electric vehicle owners to ensure a quick return on their investment of making these chargers. And so it's a subsidized industry to begin with. So it's expensive. It's unaffordable. And um, so uh, long story short here, you you have a situation in which it's not even realistic. you know they' they're on the, the the train here, so to speak and Britain have already trying to do what America's proposing as well, which is basically banning fossil fuel cars and forcing everyone uh, to use electric vehicles but there's not the infrastructure for it. Um, there's not even enough electricity to power these things and they're just not practical. They're not practical. You have a limited charge, you need to recharge, it takes more time. I mean, you go to a gas station, you know, to fill up your car from empty to to full, you know, it takes, you know, four to five minutes. But even these fastest chargers they have takes at least 20 minutes to get a charge. And so it's just not pragmatic. It doesn't work. And so anyway, here we have the... uh, the uh, rocking down to Electric Avenue, uh, which is which is the future of America, which is continued uh, havoc, continued uh, shortages, and something that is not going to function whatsoever. Uh, but anyway, I'll leave you with that story for now. There's more to cover, as always. We can never get to everything. Um, but I want to thank you for listening. You know, I um, in the last week I grew my audience, I doubled my audience, and it was getting sizable, I mean, from from my perspective, having you know just started a few months back, uh, but that's thanks in part to you, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. You know, it's an interesting thing sitting here behind this microphone, and and having this conversation, you know, feeling you out there, communicating with you, and I just want to thank you because it means the world to me, and I got to be honest, I really enjoy doing this. Um, I have found something that I am uh, passionate about, um, that I, of course, enjoy doing, brings me great joy, and uh, I I hope it's informative and continues to be informative to you. Uh, We're continuing to grow. We're on the cutting edge of of this own program's uh, growth and expanse, and you are buying in in the early stages. And it is you who have been loyal to me that I will always be grateful for because there will come a time when people jump on and listen because someone else tells them to listen. And right now, um, these are the stages that I will that are unforgettable to me, that 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 are, that are memorable to me because it's it's still the beginning stages of my uh, broadcast or podcasting career. And you know, it, 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 the, the success of this of this show well, it's directly related to you you, you make this possible. You uh, give me this opportunity. And uh, you're the ones who are buying in early and supporting me early. And it's because of your support that I continue to sit here and do this. There are a lot of other things I could be doing, um, but I'm passionate about this. And it is the fact that I can look at the numbers a uh, day in and day out and see that you continue to return, continue to entrust me because... You know, I want to just say this, too. There is a responsibility, and I do feel that here. Yes, it's fun. Yes, I enjoy it. But there is a responsibility, and I take that seriously. Because together, uh, you and I have decided to embark on this journey to accept our responsibility to protect and preserve America. And uh, that's what I try to do and we try to do Uh, day in and day out, when I get behind this microphone. And I just want to tell you now, now today, that I don't take it for granted. And I never will. I won't take you for granted. Uh, This is possible because of you. So God bless you. And as we say, until next time.